everybody, my name is Drew Dixon. I'm the chief content nerd at Love My Nerd, and I'm back with you for another Bible Thump. Uh, the goal of these videos is really simple. I just want to open the Bible and encourage you a little bit, hopefully help you find some hope and some direction uh, from, from the Bible. But before we do, I want to ask you a question um, to get you thinking. So have you ever seen, and this is going to date me a little bit, um, have you ever seen like Braveheart or The Gladiator or maybe... Um, trying to think of a good modern example, maybe maybe something like John Wick. What do all these movies have in common? They're all sort of like revenge fantasies. And I don't mean fantasy um, like most nerds think of it with like elves and dwarves and dragons and stuff. I mean fantasy as in something we like fantasize about, something we daydream about. Like we all have these daydreams where people who are really bad, who do awful things, um, get their comeuppance, right? They get justice. Like we, f somebody steps in. And takes it to these people, um, like that. Think of Braveheart <laughs> again. This dates me a little bit, um, but that was like a big deal, right? When I was, when I was, uh, I think probably in high school or so. But um, that movie was a huge deal, and the reason it was so appealing to so many people was because it was a story of like violently taking it to the oppressor. Um, like William Wallace's character is, he and his people are horribly oppressed. And it culminates in his wife uh, being killed and uh, being taken advantage of. And, like, that just sets William Wallace on this trajectory of, like, kicking butt, right? And destroying um, some British soldiers, right? Just absolutely taking them to task. Um, we like those kinds of stories because we like the idea of people who, bad actors, right, being brought to justice, even if it's like in this horribly violent way. Um, like that's a little bit of what's of the setting of, of Mark's gospel. Like the people who first read Mark's gospel and um, the Jews that were in and around Jesus, that lived with Jesus, that, that traveled with Jesus, the first Jewish people that um, Jesus called to follow him, like that's kind of in some ways, that's their world. They're living in this world that they're hoping for that kind of violent upheaval. Um, they wanted to see Israel free from the clutches of Rome. Like they, they, in fact, if you were a Jew living in Jesus' day, most likely you saw the fact that Israel was, was conquered by Rome. And before that, like this long history of being conquered by other nations too, right? There's Babylon and, and Persia and Assyria. And, um, you know, before that, Egypt and you know, all these foreign powers, that was a sign to them. This is all over the prophets. Like if you read the Old Testament, read the prophets. When God's people are under foreign rule in the mind of most um, Jewish people at this time, that meant they were under God's judgment. And they desperately wanted to be free from that. They looked forward to the day when um, God would take care of these foreign powers and get them out of the way and allow Israel to be ruled by a Jewish king. And they believed that there was a king coming from the line of David who would establish this kind of reign and rule, and he would establish a new era of peace, a new era of security. Um, like, and it's important to put this in perspective. Like, I don't think it's fair necessarily to compare, um, to make the comparison I just made between like how the British treated the Scottish in um, in the Middle Ages or whatever um, to to how Rome treated its enemies. Now, Rome brutally conquered. Um, they would wipe out as many people as possible in some of the cities they conquered at times to prove like, hey, you've got to bow the knee to Caesar. Um, but once they did conquer people and their their empire was so big that they actually were like pretty good 
treated people pretty well by comparison to a lot of previous empires. Um, they allowed a measure of religious freedom, sort of the way that the Romans thought about it as like, hey, you guys can worship your gods, but just make sure you worship ours too. This was a pagan, very pluralistic society where um, that was fine for most people. Most people who got conquered by Rome, most people groups were like, okay, sure, yeah, we'll honor the Roman gods. We don't want to cause trouble. So they would do that because they had lots of gods that they worshipped, and they thought, and that's how they thought. That's how they saw the world was like that there's all these gods over various different things and so and over various different peoples, and so they just did it, and it was fine. Um, but that kind of caused a problem for Jewish people because unlike some of these other cultures and other people groups, like Jews were pretty determined, some were anyway. Of course, there were, there were Jewish people who were like, sure, we'll worship whatever. Um, uh, they're all different types, but um, there were some very serious religious Jews who heard that kind of thinking were like, no. Because uh, think of like the first commandments. You shall have no other gods before me and you shall not worship idols. Like these commands tell a story and that's that the God of the Jewish Bible, the God of the Old Testament, um, like <laughs> demands exclusivity, right? Um, and so... So that caused them some trouble. And so while uh, eventually Rome kind of let the Israelites do their own thing and didn't force them to worship Roman, Roman gods, but those first years were, were tense. And there was all this, always this fear in the back of a lot of Jewish people's minds that eventually Rome was going to crack down on their worship of Yahweh, right? And that they would get in trouble. They always felt, I think Jewish people in, in, in ancient in, the, in, in Israel and during the era of Jesus, during Jesus' time, um, there was always this fear that, like, they're not full-class citizens, that there's coming, uh, there's going to be coming some days of persecution. And, of course, that happened in, um, you know, 80, 60, in the 80s, 60s, and 70, uh, 80s, 70s, when the Jewish temple was destroyed by Nero um, after a Jewish revolt that kind of made him, like, really clamp down um, but there's all this tension, right? And there's this belief amongst a lot of Jewish people that, like, what needs to happen uh, for God's kingdom to really advance, for for God to reign and rule over the world, which is what they longed for, for that to happen, like, a king had to be put in place, and that king would take care of Rome and would put Israel back on the map, right? They longed for some kind of 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 revenge fantasy. And I don't mean to... That's, I don't mean to put them down by saying that, because listen, like, everybody in that day, that's what you would long for. If you were con any people group in the ancient world, that was the way. That was the ancient way of thinking, like, in that time was, um, if you were conquered by some foreign power, you longed for the day when that power was violently conquered and overthrown. Like, that's how problems, um, <laughs> geopolitical problems in the ancient world were solved. It's like, if we're honest, it's probably not all that different today. Uh, we haven't evolved near as much as sometimes we think we have. But that's the context in which Jesus says what he's about to say in this passage. Let's look at it. Mark 10, verse 32. It says, They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, because those who followed him, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them things that would happen to him. The things that would happen to him. He said, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. 
James and John, sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right hand and your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. That's a mouthful right there. Verse 40, But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those whom, for whom it has been prepared. When the ten, ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Okay, so there's a lot here, and I just want to unpack a few things really quick. First, like, remember that context I told you about. That's very much in the disciples' minds, in part because of the way Jesus taught himself and the things Jesus did and the things he said. Remember, he's been casting out demons, he's been healing the sick, he's been teaching, he's been teaching parables, but teaching about the kingdom. All those parables were about this kingdom that's come Jesus would say things like, the kingdom of God is among you. It's here. It's arrived. Um, and the Son of Man, that's the title that Jesus uses of himself twice in this passage, at the beginning and at the end of this passage that we just read. Like, that's a kingly title that refers back to Jan- Daniel chapter 7, where there's this promised Son of Man who's going to do something about all the foreign powers in the world that are causing people to worship false gods and so forth and so on, and it's going to establish God's peace and rule over the world. Um, and that king would reign in perpetuity, right? Would reign forever. Um, and so Jesus is embracing that role, that he is that king. So, so far, so good, right? That's what a lot of people, a lot of ancient Jewish people Jesus in Jesus' day wanted. Um, and that's the way we think. Just every human being, I think, tends to think that way when we live under foreign rule. When someone else is in charge of our lives and we're not truly free, like we want someone to come in and take care of the person who's oppressing us and causing us not to have freedom, right? And um, Jesus says, hey, I'm that guy. Great, right? But then what does he say? He says, the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, to the Jewish religious leaders, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. Who's that? Rome. That's the Gentiles that's being referenced to there. It's going to hand him over to Rome, and Rome, the Romans are going to mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days. They didn't understand the glory in that term of rising in three, those, those words about rising in three days. What they could not possibly understand, and you see so many examples of this in, in, in Mark's gospel, of people not understanding what Jesus means by talking about his death and his suffering, is that that's how he would conquer. That's how he would conquer his enemies. But in the mind of most people who first heard this, like those phrases handed over to Rome, to the Gentiles, and, and um, the Son of Man, like those are... Like, they don't go together. These are the people, the Jews, the the Romans, sorry, the Romans are the very people every ancient Jew expected the Son of Man to overthrow and conquer and put them in their place and to humiliate them. And instead, we read that Jesus says the Son of Man, me, Jesus, is saying, I am the Son of Man, I am this king who's going to establish God's kingdom. I'm going to be conquered 
by them. I'm going to be humiliated. The people you want me to humiliate are going to humiliate me, is what Jesus essentially tells us people. What that was hard for people to accept back then because Jesus is essentially saying the way of establishing peace, the way of establishing my kingdom is by being conquered rather than being the conqueror. And it's like, man, that is so vastly different than the way human beings have been thinking since the very beginning. We've always had this mentality of conquering through power. We've always had this mentality of conquering through putting our enemies down and in their place. And yet Jesus would say things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, Jesus's way of going about um, establishing his kingdom is, is incredible. It's incredible. It's like William Wallace going to his British oppressors and laying down his life in love for them. And he's saying, that's how I'm going to take care of, of this of this oppression. And by the way, Jesus does very much take care of oppression. He is not interested in us just blindly like enduring oppression and not wanting to stand up against it. I don't think that's the point. But I think the point is that Jesus um, invites us to a whole new way of seeing the world and a whole new way of living. Um, we see this in the story that plays out after he teaches about his death, right? James and John are arguing um, or are talking to each other. They're plot. They're not arguing. Sorry, they're plotting. So that's another story. Where, uh, but they're plotting like, hey, let's figure out a way to secure for ourselves. They know that Jesus is the Son of Man, and they look forward to the day when He's reigning and ruling. And they're like, hey, let's let's. How can we take advantage of that? And so they plot this plan. It's like it's like when you were a kid and you go up to your parents and you're like, um, hey, don't worry about what I ask you. Just say yes. Like, because if we're doing a Jedi mind trick to get them to give us what we want. That's almost what they do here, but Jesus sees through it. And he says, you know, they, they, they're like, we want places of honor in your kingdom. We want to be at your right and your left. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. And he basically goes on to say that, like, you're missing the point. You want to be great? Be last of all. Servant of all. Because that's my vocation. That's my occupation. That's what I do, Jesus is telling them. I give myself for the good of others. So the cross isn't only this like totally countercultural way of Jesus establishing his kingdom, of God establishing his kingdom on earth, of, of, of taking care of oppression and establishing true peace. The cross is a way of life for everybody, for everybody who wants to follow Jesus. So you want to be great in the kingdom of God? You want to be a real ingredient in, in God's plan for the world? Um, Jesus says it's really simple, like, follow me to the point of death. Like, give of yourself to serve me and to invest in my kingdom, which means, by the way, like, giving more and more of yourself to serve people all around you, the good and the bad, the everyone, to serve the people who need your help, um, to give more and more of yourself to serve others. Um, on the contrary, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be servants of all. So, you want to participate in the kingdom of God. Um, 
Stop thinking we have to take care, we have to kick butt and take names, right? Stop thinking that you have to establish your own power and influence and authority. Stop thinking that you need to be Instagram famous or Facebook famous or a Twitter, have lots of Twitter followers or, um, you know, or have all the right powerful and interesting friends. You know, you don't have to be an influencer to be great in the kingdom of God. You don't. In fact, um, that hunger to be an influencer or to be great in the eyes of people could even be keeping you from true greatness in the kingdom of God, from seeing what really matters. Here's what I think some of what Jesus is saying. is like He's saying um, the people who are truly great in this world, like you don't know them. You don't know them because they're not, that's not what they're about. Now, there's some really, like, I'm not saying in Instagram uh, influencers or whatever are evil. Or There's people who are in that space who are super generous, super kind, very Christ-like. Um, but what I do want to say is, like, the way of Jesus is just totally different. It's totally different than our human values today. So I think maybe the takeaway today is just this. Ask Jesus to help you understand what your values are, what you really value. And ask him to help you see the cross, not only as the way of him establishing his kingdom, but also as the way of you being a part of his kingdom work now. Who can you give of your time, energy, money to serve? How can you give more of yourselves to, to, to him and to his work and to serve the people made in his image, um, whether they are your best friends or your enemies? Um, how can we love and serve people like Jesus. It's exciting. It's exciting to think about. Hope you're excited by it. We'll see you again next week.